Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Sounds of the Week. Brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Check them out at macu.com or call 1-800-748-4302. Welcome back. It is the big show. Austin Horton in for Jake Scott. Gordon Monson uh, at home today, and we're having a good time. We had Gordon's list earlier in the show, and we spoke with Dale Murphy. Got a lot of good insights. Uh, Gordon, do you have – I know you've got a big weekend ahead, uh, but I'll ask you – uh, for the details, if you'd like to share them, if not, what are your Father's Day plans? Uh, well, one of my daughters is getting married tomorrow, and so uh, that uh, is the main emphasis of the weekend. But uh, you know, my kids will probably take some time to say thanks for being uh, our dad, <laughs> and then they'll go back to doing what they do, which is what. <laughs> <laughs> Taking me for granted? No, that's, no. that's, that's about not at right. all. That's I always right. have said, I've always said that on Mother's Day we take time to honor our mothers, and on Father's Day, fathers get preached at how to be do a better job, <laughs> and rightfully so. We but need improvement. Mothers we, don't. We, we do that's absolutely that. the case. That's great uh, awareness there. Also, we do <laughs> need improvement. Let's get to Howard Beck, Alex. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out at Lee's Heat AC. Out to the Sprint special guest line, our good friend from Bleacher Report. He is Howard Beck. And Howard, uh, you have been immortalized several times over in different episodes of Game of Zones, which came to a close a few weeks ago. Did you Do you think that the, the Game of Zones uh, guys who you've had on your podcast, are they soothsayers? Can they see the future? Because Kyrie Irving's kind of living up to how they presented him in that final couple episodes. I mean, listen... Craig and Adam Malamut, the creators of Game of Zones, are geniuses. They're hilarious. <laughs> They're amazing. But um, predicting that Kyrie Irving might someday do something a little wacky and kind of following his own way and, uh, you know, throwing off everybody else or being a little bit, uh, you know, stridently independent, you know, that, 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 they didn't take any genius to, to, to come up with that that plot line that's that's just Kyrie but um I would just say before we get deep into it and and waste anybody's time uh the idea of starting their own league players starting their own league has come up many many times over the years especially when there's been labor strife during the lockout in 98 during the lockout in 2011 this thing gets floated um every so often again especially at times when players feel like they're being undervalued not in the context like we're having right now which is a very unique one and you know it comes it gets discussed it goes uh it's not worth taking that seriously especially now so howard i wanted to run this by you because jake and i have been sort of going back and forth arguing all week ever since the details of the plan came out 
He's saying that the NBA has taken it too far. Well, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm probably going to distort what he said, but uh, that's my privilege. When has that ever stopped today. us? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, he thinks that some of the measures that the NBA has put into place are overboard and kind of for public relations uh, considerations. And I, my, my point is more, why not do everything possible to keep people safe, especially with what's going on with, in Florida right now? What, what's your, what are your thoughts on the plan? Well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what in particular Jake is seizing on as, as, as cynically feeling like it's just for PR purposes. So you can, you can tell me and I can respond, but um there's nothing about their plan that, that I've seen or read so far that struck me as being either extreme or unreasonable or surprising in any way. I, I mean, it's thorough. It's extensive. Um, it is trying to strike the right balance between safety and not making everybody crazy <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, guys are going to be stuck there between seven and 17 weeks. Um you know, there are some accommodations that they're trying to make. And they're also, of course, you know, they're not going to lock down the Disney employees. They're going to come and go. They're not in quarantine. They're not in sequester. They're going to be potentially out where they could pick up the virus and bring it into the bubble. Um, and these are just concessions that they had to make, that it's, it's just not realistic to have an entire hermetically sealed virtual bubble where nobody comes and goes for months on end. So, um, I think the biggest concern right now is not anything that the NBA is planning. It's the things that they cannot plan for at all, such as the fact that today, again, Orange County, Florida, where Orlando is located, had its highest numbers in COVID cases and new, new cases. And it's, it's, that, that part has to be alarming. It's got to have the NBA a little bit on edge. Uh, some some things that Jake has pointed out, and I think he has some validity to his belief on this, is you can go sweat uh, and play uh, man-to-man glove-like defense uh, against another human being and share sweat and other things for 48 minutes, but you can't share the same deck of cards that you played with yesterday. You have to get a new deck of cards. He sees that more as like a window dressing type thing rather than a, a medical uh, experts saying, well, you can catch the virus if you use the same deck of cards, Howard. I mean, I don't necessarily understand the scientific reasoning behind things as, as as at that macro level. I'm sure somebody on their board of experts, and they've got, you know, they've got really good, smart people, epidemiologists, and they've been consulting on this. I'm sure there's a reason why uh, they went down to that level mm-hmm. of detail. I'm not so cynical as to believe that they put it in the hundred, you know, the, the hundred and ten page uh, <laughs> compendium of protocols, just so that we could go. Oh wow, look at that! They're so careful. They're throwing away playing cards. I mean, I did that's that's silly. Um, I, I I don't you know. Listen, there there are aspects of it that don't make sense to me either, as a, a layman, um, such as players when they're on the court. Yes, no masks, obviously, banging against each other, breathing on each other. But if they're behind the bench, they're going to be in a mask in that in, on that same court like i don't some of this stuff i don't quite understand how i don't understand what, what protection that 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 uh provides you in an environment where otherwise guys are like sweating and breathing hard and especially given that it seems like there is more evidence of this being spread through the air than there is uh through uh through 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 touching surfaces yeah howard i think michelle roberts agrees with uh 
with what you're saying, what I've been saying, that, uh, th- th- I mean, the league seems like it's doing everything possible to protect the people, as it should, protect the players, the staff, the coaches, everybody. And and I applaud the effort, man. The only other thing they, they could do to keep it safer is not to do it at all. And uh, I guess that's where we are on this. You know, you mentioned the escalating numbers of positive tests. That's happening here in Utah. Uh, it's happening in a lot of places, and it scares me still. And I always like to hear your opinion on it because it's it's so important to our society. But I, I, I don't know what else the league could do. Yeah, I mean, listen, this, when you decide to go forward with this, when you decide you're going to play games, I think you know going in there is a certain amount of risk. And then everything else you do, is just simply minimizing that risk. Every every measure you take is just about pushing that percentage down a little bit further and making it, you know, just incrementally safer while knowing all along that the very fact that you're going to put on, you know, any number of, of games involving 22 teams and 374 players and all the staff that's there and putting them on planes to get them there and having them, you know, potentially come into contact with people along the way, like there's, there, there's a certain amount of risk that's just built into the enterprise, and you're weighing that against not having a, com- a concluded season. You're weighing that against the losses of, of $900 million to a $1 billion. Um, it, it, it's, there's no getting around that. Um, you, you cannot possibly stage an NBA uh, playoffs that's going to take two months, and, and you know, in the eight regular season games that they're going to play before that per team uh, without there being risk. So the question is not, are they taking risk? The question is, how, how good are the measures that they're taking to minimize the risk? And is it enough? And then, the, the, then there's all the, the, the hypotheticals of the unknown. What happens when there's a, a positive test when it's a player? Um, what happens if, if it's three, four, five, six guys on the same team? Um, you know, at what point, what would, what would be the threshold that they're comfortable with? And what would be the threshold that would shut it down? And I noticed that Dr. Fauci said that he was encouraging, even though it might be impossible, the NFL to follow the NBA model, if at all possible. It's not possible, I don't think. But anyway, I, I, I think the NBA, I'm not, I'm not a PR guy for the NBA, but I think they've done everything that they possibly can to pull this thing off. And we'll see if it's successful, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I listen, I haven't seen since the, the – the, uh, documents have become public and their protocols have become public. I haven't seen any experts, any epidemiologists, infectious control experts say anything to indicate that the NBA has overlooked something or that this plan is, is unsound in any way. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would heed the word of those folks if they did say so. Um, I, I think the one thing that I have seen, of course, again, is it's alarming that the numbers keep surging as they are in uh, Orange County, Florida, where, where they're going to be heading. Howard, a few years back, you had Commissioner Silver on your Full 48 podcast, and he was talking about the the season awards show that they've now transitioned to, where the votes or, or the the awards are now announced at a show in the off season. That, with that in mind, in, in years before that, the, the, it would be announced in May, the MVP and that sort of thing, and then the playoffs took place. Is there someone who can play their way into being the MVP in the playoffs in Orlando, or is this just kind of like a eh, whatever year for the season awards? Well, the season awards, the one thing that is certain is that they 
will be, as they always have been, based solely on regular season. The only question right now is what qualifies as regular season? Because (laughs) for eight teams, the season's already over. For 22 teams that are going to Orlando, there are eight eight what they're calling seeding games left to play. Those games are going to count in the standings. Mm. The standings are going to change. And so I would argue that those those games should count. Now, it's not going to probably change Giannis versus LeBron for MVP. I don't think eight games in Orlando is going to get allow LeBron to vault Giannis. I think it's probably Giannis 1 and LeBron 2, and I think that that's probably the case on most ballots, if I had to guess. But the 3-4-5 slots on the MVP race um, could change. Maybe Coach of the Year changes. You know, what if, what if the Mavericks somehow get to, I don't know how high they can get in the, in the West, but, um, you know, for the teams like the Mavericks and, and the Thunder, so Billy Donovan, Rick Carlisle, teams that have, have really surpassed expectations already, they get a little higher. Does that change the, the Coach of the Year race? Um, or is it Nick Nurse anyway? You know, maybe it is. But I, you know, there, are, there are eight games to play. Um, if Portland's jump, listen, Portland is, is on the outside looking in. They get to eighth place through the seeding games. Um, does that put Dame Lillard a little higher, you know, you know, fourth on an MVP ballot instead of fifth? I mean, it's, it, it's little things around the margins that I think could still change. Howard, I know we've asked you about this before, but with the movement toward better, uh, racial justice and social, uh, uh, raging against social injustice, do you what do you think about what the league included in that information about what the emphasis would be, how that would be emphasized uh, through the uh, the bubble games and playoffs? What do you what do you anticipate there? Do you think we'll see uh, just public service announcements? Do you think we'll see uh, some sort of presentation during games? What, what what do you think? The NBA has not tipped its hands at all on on what. Um you know, how that will manifest, right? Like, we know that they will do something. We know that the NBA is a, a progressive and, and socially conscious league. We know this is a league, obviously, made up of, of uh, you know, majority black players. And they're, the, 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 you know, whether it's coaches or GMs, league officials, people have been, um, you know, pretty outspoken the last few weeks about everything that's going on right now and about wanting to keep pushing these issues forward and they'll have this amazing platform in Orlando to do that. Um, there's a, there's a lot of options. I, I don't know where they'll head with it. I don't know if it's simply devoting maybe some pregame and halftime show type stuff, you know, or, or interviews or special segments that highlight social justice issues or that highlight black lives matter, or the higher voting rights, uh, highlight voting rights issues. It, it could be any number of things. I mean, they could, they could really build on this in a major way. Um, you know, will we see something more like along the lines of, of guys taking a knee during the anthem? Um, that could be pretty powerful if everybody in the league did that. Could we see some incorporation of, of the Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, uh, signage or logos, um, you know, on uh, uniforms, on the courts? Um, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different ways they could, uh, you know, a lot of different directions they could take this. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm, I'm sure they will do something. Howard, do you have plans uh, to, if you're allowed to go and travel and cover this thing in Orlando, or will you bow out if that's an option? The way it's going to break down, uh, they're going to have a, a, a uh, very small number of reporters who can go into the bubble. But when you commit to the bubble, you're pretty much committing for the whole way. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make sense for, for me to do. Um, the most I would do would be to be what they're referring to as basically a tier two for reporters where you can go down, 
not be in the bubble, stay wherever you want to, conduct yourself however you'd like to, but you're not getting anywhere near anybody. <laughs> the most you can do is go and be in the arena for the game at a, at a distance, at a safe distance, obviously, from the participants. So uh, my current thinking, given how, how small the, the pool of people who can be in the bubble is from the media and how little access there is even for those people, I would go down, if, it, if, it, if anything, probably just for the finals outside of the bubble and, you know, unfortunately that means I'm, I'm watching from the stands and with no access to anybody to, to be able to do any interviews um, up close. So, uh, but that's where we are. Howard, how, how has the coronavirus uh, situation affected the way you cover the, the game, the league, players? You do your podcast, you do all these things. Have you, has, have you been able to stay in touch with your normal contacts, your normal sources? What's, what's going on with that? Well, you know, it, it's, it, yes, I've been able to stay in contact. I mean, my, my job is, is more as a national writer and, and, and you know, podcasting, everything else. Those are, those are things that are done mostly by phone anyway. Where it hurts is that, you know, when teams aren't coming through New York, where I'm based, um, and I can't travel, obviously, either, there's, there's, you know, there's no one's no one's traveling. You, you can't you can't get FaceTime with anybody. Like literally, this is a, this is a whole, our whole society right now, right? Is just the lack yeah. of FaceTime. Um, unless we're talking about FaceTime, the Apple app, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it's there's there's just no ability to make new contacts. You know, a lot of the, the job is just kind of schmoozing. And you know, you, I go to a, a Knicks or a Nets game, and whoever's coming through town, that's when I get a chance to just you know see you know GMs and scouts and others. And, you know, you, you meet new people just pregame milling about on the court. Um, and so that, that part of the job has just kind of been completely eliminated in addition to obviously having any games to go to or, or cover at all. But um, there's a lot I can do by phone from home, and I do a lot of that even during a normal season. So it's been all right, but wouldn't want to keep doing it this way for too long. Even, even oh, sorry, go ahead, Gordon. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna, I was gonna ask uh, Howard. Even with your best intentions and, and and all the time that you could and do dedicate to watching NBA games, there's 30 teams in this league. I, I'm guessing you did not watch all 64 games that the Utah Jazz have played in thus far. Correct. Uh, that would be correct. Okay, but of the moments that you 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 have observed, I'm asking for a very unfair grade for how the Mike Conley marriage has gone for the Utah Jazz thus far? Oh, man. Um, Again, you know, it's very unfair, the, but it's still. Also, <laughs> yeah, add, it to the, add, it to, add it to the list of season subplots that I haven't thought about in three months. <laughs> uh, um, seriously, like I, it's it, it gotten to the point where it, it, everything feels so long ago. I, it's, I'm starting to forget, you know, you know, guys were on certain teams. Like, it, it's... It, it, <laughs> It's just really been a. Um, it, it's it's just a, we're set in such a weird headspace. Um, I, I would give it a C, but you know there was, injuries a lot a huge part of that, and you know um, you you hope that we see a different version of him when they resume. You see, you hope we see a different version whenever next season starts, and and there's more having been more time to uh, to acclimate. It's almost as though Howard, when we ask you a question like that, with everything that's gone on in our world. It's kind of like you shrug your shoulders right. and say, "Who cares?" Yeah, <laughs> there's a little you know? bit of that. I don't, I, you yeah. know, I never mean to, to to diminish it. You know, sports is still important to to people as an outlet, but yeah, at a moment like this, it's obviously 
hard to uh, feel that strongly about some of the things that we normally spend so much time fretting over. Well, that being said, Gordon, do you have anything else, or should we let Howard go? No, no. I just have, I do want to say is that I always hit Howard with this stuff at some point in the interview because I have I hold your opinion in high regard. Uh, if you were going to write, if you were going to sit down, Howard, and write an essay on on what's happened in our in our world as specific to the Black Lives Matter and and how it intersects with sports and sports role in in that movement uh what would your what would your opening paragraphs be i mean what 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 would you say i mean this is worse than my editors asking me for like a a new a new lead at 11 o'clock at night on headline Uh, Um, i thought my question was unfair (laughs) gordon just topped you by a mile um I, i could not tell you word for word what my lead would be or my first paragraph would be um what I, what I think I would tell you is this. I think if there's nothing else, and I'm aiming this primarily at uh, white people and everybody else who does not feel like they understand or has some resistance to what they're seeing, what they're hearing, um, if you're an NBA fan, which hopefully you are if you're listening to your show and these are your, your listeners, <laughs> listen to what the players are telling you. Um, listen to what former uh, jazz player Kyle Korver has said and, and has written in the Players' Tribune about white privilege and understand that these people that you're rooting for, that you profess so much allegiance to and who excite you and inspire you, that there are people behind all those highlight plays. And those people are being deeply, deeply affected by wrongs that are continuing in our society. And this is a time that we can all finally turn the corner on this, I hope. And... Um, I, I think it's the humanity of the players that should stand out right now because they're out in the streets with everybody else trying to, to hammer home what's going on. And this is a time to, if you, if you really love these players and they inspire you and you, you, you feel something you know, for them as fans, then, then listen to them. Howard, you're a gifted reporter, but I know you well enough to say you most uh, most hold up your uh, your title as father and husband. So please have a good, safe, happy Father's Day weekend with your family, will you? Appreciate it, fellas. You too. Thanks so much. Take yeah. care. It's Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. He's here every Friday with us for the NBA Daily Assist. Coming up next, Gordon, today is Juneteenth or Jubilee Day or Freedom Day. And uh, DJ and PK had a moment to catch up with Jay Hill this morning up at Weber State. And a lot of his comments that he made with DJ and PK focused around recruiting black athletes to come play football in Ogden, Utah, and the experience of that, and how much he's learned and and grown as a coach and as a person since uh, taking that realm and uh, recruiting such players. And uh, I thought we'd take a moment and listen to some of those comments coming up next, if you're all right with that. Yeah, well worth it. All right, coming up next, Jay Hill right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And now it's time for a back-to-basketball update. Ow! Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net! Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. If you haven't taken a moment to look over the hotel grades that the NBA uh, players will be staying in in the wide world of Disney's uh, sports down there in Orlando, the Jazz made the cut for the upper echelon. They'll be staying at the 
Uh, Destino, the Grand Destino. It's the newest and nicest hotel down there. Uh, I know no word on as to whether or not the Lakers will have to stay at the Motel 6. Oh, wait, no, there is word here. They will have the nicest penthouse at the Grand Destino Tower. Gordon, you've been to Disney World. Where did you stay when you go down there? Uh, I stayed in a tent. Nah, right. Nobody uh, believes I can't that. Re- I can't even remember where we stayed, but we had a wonderful time there. Uh, so there you go. If you believe that accommodations can play a role, that's something you want. You might want to check out. And then this Ura ring or Aura ring, I don't know how, they, how you pronounce it, that is supposed to help you predict COVID-19 symptoms up to three days ahead of time. I don't know. I don't know if, I, if I'm buying into that, because if that were true, would we still need a vaccine? I don't know, Gordon. You buying it? I When I read about that, I, I don't know. I thought that was magical, mystical stuff. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe not. I, 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 I can neither confirm nor deny. That coupled with a rabbit's foot, and you'll be safe. That's your Back to Basketball update brought to you by Zions Bank. Welcome back. It's the Big Show, 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Gordon Monson and Austin Horton here with you. Thanks to Howard Beck for giving us the NBA Daily Assist last segment. Check it out at 1280thezone.com if you missed it. Gordon, I, I am ashamed to say that I did not know. I was not taught. I was not educated. It was not brought to my attention the holiday of Juneteenth or Jubilee Day or Freedom Day today, I, I am ashamed, but big enough to admit, I did not know about this holiday until uh, a, a few years ago. And the fact that it's being becoming more and more accepted and held up as an actual holiday, I think is a great thing. Uh, I think more important than it being celebrated as a holiday, educating our children and the younger generations about the the meaning behind Juneteenth and why it, why it's celebrated and why it's marked i think that is where we should start the change and, and i'm just i'm just ready to learn more well that oh, that what you're describing there is awareness right right and and that's huge that's huge that is uh if everyone is talking about wanting and and uh striving for change well that can't happen if people aren't uh, fully aware and that's what uh, these events of late, I think, have really done, made an impact on people who maybe otherwise would not have thought about it. Now, those who are who are drastically affected by these things on a, on a regular basis, for them, they've been thinking about it for a long time. And maybe some people think about it some of the time, not all the time, or they don't pay enough attention to it. Right. So that's the usefulness of it right now. Isn't it interesting that this day is coming in the calendar where it is right. relative to the events of recent times. So, yeah, another opportunity to th- for adults to think it through and for them to have a positive effect on, on their kids. Uh, in many cases, I think kids are pretty smart about this stuff, you know. <laughs> they, they, they may be ahead of many of the adults. And, I think so, uh, yeah. Hopefully, as the generations go forward much more progress can be made than has already been done. 
Absolutely. Uh, and along those lines, Jay Hill, head coach of Weber State football, was on with DJ and PK this morning. They were up at Weber State. And a lot of their conversation uh, turned to Jay Hill's experience in coaching, uh, recruiting, and getting to know and educate himself and becoming more aware himself about the, the life and culture of a black man in America, especially those who are of college age and playing a sport. And I wanted to play some of those comments here from DJ and PK with Coach Jay Hill. Things are always changing. Uh, about time you set your calendar, it changes, and you get a rule that comes out, and you have to adjust. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've had to adjust things over the last four months. It's been crazy from canceling spring ball to our, our recruiting schedules getting all out of whack. Anyway, it's been, it's been one curveball after another, like you said. We always hear that it's harder to stay on top than it is to build. And you can speak to that as well as anybody because you've built and now you've won a couple of big skies and you advance in the playoffs. So what would you say to that question as far as expectations now are through the roof as far as keeping that where it is and even maybe getting a step or two better as opposed to when you had to go through and build it? Well, I'd much rather be where we're at right now than when we were first building because that was no fun. Um, and I don't know if I always agree with that. Uh, when you have better players and now you're attracting better coaches because they're seeing others move on, uh, I think it's uh, easier to be good now than it was when we first got here and you're trying to sell people on a team that went 2-10 and ten for three straight years. So you're not selling anymore really in that way. Yeah, people know who we are more, and uh, they've heard of success, success, not just here in the state of Utah, but in surrounding states. And so in recruiting, it's easier. And, you know, just bottom line, it's easier with the players because there's an expectation now where they want to go out on the field and not just not just win a couple games, but to compete for championships. So I'm intrigued. I mean, on the one hand, you're at the top because you got three straight, at least a share of the conference title, quarterfinals, and now semifinal in the playoffs. But on the other hand, just by the nature of the level you're at, there's a level of college football above you. Coaches make more money. Uh, people play on TV more. But are there kids who, that you can get, you know, kids who maybe would end up in the bottom half of the Mountain West, a school that's in the bottom half of the Mountain West, can you get those kids? Because you're not, it's not Alabama where you're literally at the top of college football getting, you know, the five-star kids. Well, we can. You know, a good example, Josh Davis, he had four or five FBS offers and ended up coming to Weber State and was the national freshman of the year. And Taron Johnson was a kid out of California a couple years ago that when we took him, he had some of those lower-level Mountain West schools, and we get him, and he ends up being a fourth-round draft pick. And so we are getting some of those guys, and I think it's all relative to what those guys want and what they're looking for. And some guys just want to play in the FBS, and if that's the case, then we don't get those guys. But the ones that are looking for a good fit and want an opportunity to get a great education and to maybe have a chance to play on in the NFL, we get those guys still. When you say of what they're looking for, is it? can I say it's universal, it's to win and play? No, it's not universal for that. Uh, it should be, in my opinion. I think they should be looking for education first, uh, playing at a high level of football second. And some guys just say, you know what, unless I'm in the Pac-12, I can't be happy. Well, I, I, mean, I can't offer that to those guys. <laughs> I just can't. And But those guys won't be happy unless that's what they have, and so they, that's what they need to do. Can you offer them a car? I, I wish, and that would make it easier. 
as long as nobody else could offer that car. <laughs> yeah, well, when that rule changes, everybody will have a car dealer offering a car, so that'll end up just being a wash anyway. Well, it'll be crazy with this new uh, name, likeness, and image thing when that get, kicks off. I don't know how that affects recruiting will be crazy. So uh, when you talk to these kids, you know, people have in their mind, the media does it to a degree, and I think fans do it, well, if you're at Weber State, you know, you're in the big sky, you're a step slower, you're a little smaller, and maybe there's some truth to it, but you're putting guys in the NFL, which kind of blows that out of the water. You know, if you're good enough to go to the NFL, that's a really high level. Are you getting guys who are late bloomers? Is it become really the mental, technical side of the game, and you coach guys up, and that's why they make it? How does that happen? Because those two things, you know, there's supposed to be this huge gap from the SEC to the big sky, but you're getting guys drafted. Well, I think we've had six guys in the last four years uh, make NFL rosters or get opportunities and so we're finding them and how you get them everyone is different uh it might be a guy like uh we had an old lineman out of stansbury a couple years ago in high school he's 240 pounds when he left us he was 310 pounds when the strongest guy in the country you know he he when he went to the combine had more bench reps than anybody and he was a late bloomer a little bit he was a development guy uh sometimes people just flat miss and recruiting nowadays it's so accelerated that we're offering sophomores and then they're passing on all the guys that end up blooming their senior years and then they're full and we've kind of benefited from that a little bit and getting some of those late bloomers that just end up being great players and then quite frankly i think we do a better job than a lot of schools in developing our guys when they get here we've had two or three of the strongest guys in the combine the last couple years just out of weber state so as far as in-state recruiting goes, I'm wondering, has it increased in difficulty? You've got Dixie now moving up, and I believe they're on their ske- you guys got them on the schedule this year. Yep. And so now you've got, being, you've got so many schools that are playing football. I mean, you compare it to a state like Arizona, which has triple the amount of population, but they don't have near as many schools. So how has recruiting in-state been as far as maybe degree of difficulty? Well, there's more and more schools recruiting in the state of Utah from out of the state, so that's made it a little bit harder. What made it really hard is when Coach Anderson went back up to Utah State because he does such a phenomenal job in recruiting. Uh, we obviously we don't battle with the University of Utah in recruiting. We don't battle with BYU. And like I say, now that Gary's up at Utah State, that's made it harder for us because those were a lot of the kids that we were getting. Um, but we, we don't really battle the other guys that much. It, it was a thing. Utah would take theirs and BYU would take theirs, and then we were getting the big majority of the next tier guys, and that's how we've kind of built this thing. Um, and those guys are still there, and we're going to continue to take those guys. We've had to be a little creative the last year or two and just find another couple guys out of the state, but the, the state of Utah will continue to be our base for sure. A lot of stuff going on in the world, obviously, socially. Uh, have you had any interactions with your players as far as discussions and what maybe is on their minds and what you would want them to do as far as expressing themselves and all that? You know what? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because in today's world, that's such a hot topic and something that's so dear and important to me right now. We had on Wednesday, after every one of the lifts, we would take the lifting groups and we would, we went up into our auditorium and spaced them out 10 feet and we just said, you know what, here's your opportunity vent. Tell us about what's going on socially. Tell us about what you really feel. We let some of our African-American players uh, tell our white, white players what they really go through. You know, when you walk into a store 
and you got someone following you around because you think they're going to steal something, or they get pulled over and they get pulled out of their car for speeding, that's something that I've never experienced as a white male. And to listen to those stories and to, to watch five or six groups go through that and to see the white players uh, get a little better sense of what we're fighting right now, I thought was extremely powerful. And uh, it, was, it was huge for me to just listen to them, let them vent a little bit as to why we're fighting for what we're fighting for. And um, that was huge for our team, our players. I wanted this to be something that could bring us closer together rather than tear us apart because this will tear some teams apart. So I think that it's, and I don't know this because I didn't play college sports, but the amount of time these guys spend together and how hard they work together from, you know, being criticized in a group you know, individually being called out in a film room to literally how hard it is to lift weights and how exhausted you are to hear those stories or read them in a paper or on the web or to see them on TV from someone you don't know is one thing, but to hear them from someone you feel like, you know, does it make it like 10 times more powerful? 10 times more powerful. I mean, I I got, I got African-American players tearing up as they're telling their story. And I got white guys listening to it tearing up because of what they've been through together. And I think a football team across the country is one of the best examples as to what we can become, where you take kids from the Polynesian islands and from wherever they come from that are African-American and white players that we have. And bottom line, you're just mixing these groups and they get along and they love each other and they get it. And they look past some of the stuff, the pre, uh, the, the, just the, the judgments that occur socially in today's world, we look past that and we see the real person. And I think that that's what the world needs to get to is we got to get past looking at skin color and look at what's in the, the person's heart and how hard they work and their dedication. And that's what happens on a football team is we see those other things that are so important to see in people. Yeah, I've always felt that I don't think we'll ever eliminate the form of racism completely, but I always thought to mitigate it and to lessen it bring it down to an individual level and i'm bob and you're joe i'm not this you're not that i'm bob and you're joe and i get to know joe and if i get to know him it's probably a good chance i'm going to like him and then if he happens to be a person of another race then that's going to resonate with me well i'm not going to stereotype because bob isn't like that so that's the way i think to combat it and you use that example in a football team well, and that, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about is these guys actually get to know each other and get to love each other and fight with each other. And that's where they grow, to, the, the, the trust grows. And our, those friendships will last forever. Uh, and that's what we're fighting in society is give people a chance to show you who they really are rather than having this uh, preconceived notion and what society taught us. Just give people a chance and... And I think you'll find that some of your best friends will come from the other races. Jay Hill, their uh, head coach of Weaver State Football with DJ and PK. And Gordon, I thought those uh, thoughts were really well said and shared. And uh, I, the thing that I like about sports is that it can be a, and if this is as Del Murphy put it, Pollyannish, then fine. But I think sports can be a unifying uh, event that ultimately the outcome of that event does not matter. But you can learn and grow and accept all cultures and all backgrounds while not doing something as serious as deciding the fate of the world. 
Yeah, I yeah, I I agree. And and to your point about what Jay Hill was saying there, that's some good ground level common sense talk to me. Right? Yes. Yep. That's I mean, where you start, you know. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful that people can look at some of the examples within sports, uh, the way teams work together. And uh, we've heard horror stories from the past where that wasn't the way it was. But uh, most of the guys I've known through my time doing this, uh, man, teammates are teammates, you know. Uh, And that's the way it comes across through my eyes in observing. And that is a great example to uh, the greater community. Hopefully that'll take effect. Uh, you know, when when you hear uh, Jay Hill talk about teammates who are tearing up because they see the realities, the way on the outside certain teammates are treated, that that tells me there's a strong connection there between those brothers and that they care about one another. They don't care about the color of people's skin. Mm, absolutely. Coming up next, everyone's favorite segment that's named Gordon Monson. <laughs> the Not Sports Report. That's a very underwhelming tease. I, <laughs> I, I still get I still get regular communication from people saying how much they appreciate and enjoy what's going to happen over the next 10 minutes. Regular communication and enjoy are all relative terms. Uh, so I'll believe you relatively <laughs> compared to nailing <laughs> your thumb, uh, you know, with a hammer more next, not sports report right here on the big show. Check this out. And now you're not sports report on 97, five, 1280, the zone and the zone sports network. That's right, it's time for the Not Sports Report, presented today and every day by the Larry H. Miller Used Car Supermarket. Uh, You can uh, check them out. uh, Over 1,000 vehicles in inventory. Shop online at lhmusedcars.com. There's a lot of good Not Sports news out there. We'll see what Gordon goes with today, Gordon. Well, today's Not Sports Report centers on Hollywood. Okay. And it's not it, – there is a sports tie-in to it, but it's more about Hollywood than it is about sports, but it's about a, someone in sports, okay? Okay. None of that, none of that made sense. But if I, <laughs> if I say to you, who is – what is the best casting job you've ever seen in Hollywood, and you're Mr. Movie around here, mm. who, would you, who would you select? The best cast? The best casting job for a particular role. Oh, my word. Uh, It's hard to – you could throw out five or six Tom Hanks roles and say, oh, that would fit perfectly. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that's more a a nod to his acting skills rather than casting. I'll tell you this. Have you seen uh, Inglourious Bastards? Have you ever seen that movie? I saw part of it. I didn't see all of it. Christoph Valls. As oh, the uh-huh. SS hunter, uh, that yeah. he he's chilling, chilling yeah. in that in that in that selection. I'll also throw out Jack Palance from City Slickers. I don't know if uh, <laughs> Curly could have been played by anyone better. <laughs> Confidence is very sexy. <laughs> uh, okay, my it's two that come to mind automatically, and these are old school 
but one is George C. Scott as Patton. Oh, yeah. He was a better Patton than Patton. Just gave a better speech. Yeah, I'll <laughs> tell you that right now. You listen to Patton's actual speeches, you're like, really? Is he a yeah. – what is this, a, yeah. a, 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 ch- a church Sunday school meeting? Have some life in there, man. But, yeah. Well, he was a little had that squeaky voice, too. We will find uh, them out of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the other one that comes to mind is uh, uh, Jack Nicholson in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. What was his name in that movie? Was it McMurphy, McMurphy or something? I don't remember. Yeah, um, it was Johnny. Yeah. Well, no, that was a different Oh, that's movie. not. Yeah, that's. Whoops. That's. Uh, yeah. What am I? What's that? Is that The Shining? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, the reason I bring this up is, did you see the news that Jamie Foxx oh, yeah. is going to play the role of Mike Tyson in an upcoming biopic? Yeah, and he's been working on this as an idea for about 14 years. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He brought this up 14 years ago, and everyone was like, really? To Mike Tyson? And that, you know, Mike Tyson, love him, hate him, or in between, he's lived a life, man. He's got yeah. he's got a story, and it's a lot of it is great, and a lot of it is terrible. And Jamie Foxx is a terrific, gifted actor. Yes, he and is. And if you can picture him with a little bit of a lisp, I think he'll nail that role. I agree. That's why I bring it up. He's 52 years old now. Wow. And and so he says it's a definite, uh, definitive yes that it's going to happen. And um, he's uh, going to portray, quote, the different lives of the boxer. Mm. Uh, He said, we want to show everybody uh, evolves. I think when we lay the layer of Mike Tyson in this story, I think everybody from young and old will be able to understand this man's journey. I'm looking forward to this. I, I, I think it's going to be good. And he even looks like Tyson a little bit. And with what they can do, with in Hollywood these days, I mean, people think, okay, how are you going to replicate the way Mike Tyson looked? Well, he's probably he's working out like a like like a crazy man. Okay, I mean, he, he said he's doing all kinds of exercise and whatnot. But you know how the uh, the benefits of uh, CGI and how they can they can bulk people up sure. and make them look. Uh, I mean, when I saw the movie Three Hundred, uh. I, I initially thought that's what those guys all look like, and then later I found out that <laughs> some of that they got a little help. Yeah, you know. Same with my Facebook pictures. It's, it's just to <laughs> break everyone's heart. There. Did you, now I've got two questions. Will uh-huh. Jamie Fox get a face tattoo? Because if <laughs> you're not, if you're not going to dedicate yourself all the way, Jamie, don't bother. Like if you're going to have that CGI or pressed onto your face, then you're not going all the way. Well, he can't do that yet because he's got he's got to play the young Mike Tyson. No, too. see, I disagree. Get the face tattoo for real, and have them CGI it out <laughs> for the times that he didn't have it, and then yeah, that's how. Won't you do that, that won't that limit his uh, ability to play other roles? Hey, is he, does he want to win an Oscar or not, Gordon? Uh, I don't know what to tell. You. And then my other question: Did you ever see the movie Ray, where he played Ray yes. Charles? Yes. Yeah. If anyone has Fantastic. doubts that Jamie Foxx can do this, watch that yeah. movie. He's he's he, he's incredible. He said that as he's bulking up, as he's working out, that he'll be 216 pounds when shooting begins, and then uh, as uh, old Mike, he said he'll balloon up to 225 or 230, oh. <laughs> which he says will look like 250 on screen. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, I think he's counting on getting a little help. I appreciate you saying balloon up to 230 since that's my current weight. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> You're not 230. Yeah, I am. I am. Are you really? But I was 245 a year ago, so I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah. Well, you wear it well. <laughs> okay. Oh. You know, and looking at the, think about think about Jamie Fox, and then think about Mike Tyson. Yeah, that is the right guy for the right role. I agree. That's well done. Yeah. All right, coming up next, we'll get a Jazz Insider report from Ben Anderson of KSL, and coming up at five thirty, a very Father's Day special drop of the day or clip of various sound, right here on the Big Show. Gordon Monson, Austin Horton, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the Zone.